All right, would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 3. The Levites, their numbers and their duties. Organizing the work, numbering the warriors, numbering the tribes, well, numbering the warriors, the men who are from the tribes, that they might be prepared for war, the marvel of this whole situation is how only the mind of God could have organized something like this, where at the same time, nearly three million people will move, I mean, from all ages, from infants to, to elderly, would move in the same direction at the same time, headed toward the same goal, ready for war, very well organized and organized for worship as well with meticulous instruction when you include what we've studied in Exodus and what we're even looking at in, uh, on Wednesday night in, in Second Chronicles, First Kings, uh, to consider the material, the meticulous measurements, all of the things that go into this the mind of God organizing his people, reflecting his greatness, and his people just have to listen and obey, and everything's taken care of. Of course, there is a, lead, there is a leader that is ordained of God to lead these people, this Moses. Moses is no stranger to leadership, according to secular history. Um, growing up in Pharaoh's household, uh, being according to Josephus, being the commander of the Egyptian armies for a period of time, knowing how to march massive numbers of troops from point A to point B, the logistics that had to be taken care of. So Moses had something of experience in this, but not, not to this mass, nearly three million people, and not to think about how all age groups needed to be cared for. So now we come to this section early in Numbers where the people now are further organized into who, to whom belong the priestly duties and what those duties are. So here we are. It actually expand, it, it spans over two chapters. We're, we're only going to look at Numbers 3. Uh, tonight. So here we go. The sons of Aaron. Aaron, of course, is the designated high priest, the first one, and only his sons could serve in that capacity. So when it comes to worship, when it comes to the tabernacle, Aaron is a very important character. These are the descendants of Aaron and Moses on the day that Yahweh spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab, the first born Abihu Eliezer and Ithamar, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed, the anointed priesthood or priests, whom he consecrated as priests. Nadab and Abihu died before Yahweh when they brought alien or strange fire before Yahweh in the Sinai desert, and they had no children. So their, their, their punishment was twofold. They, they lost their lives, but they also lost their lineage. It stops there where they are. They had no children. Eliezer and Ethma, however, served as priests in the presence of Aaron, 
their father. You may remember when we studied this um, back in Leviticus, uh, how brokenhearted Aaron was and how Yahweh even had to sort of parenthetically interrupt the, uh, the situation uh, to allow for, for Aaron to deal with his grief, which is something generally that wasn't allowed, uh, but also strict instructions given of, of how he needed to get his, himself together and continue in the work. So, okay, they, they died. There's no hiding uh, their sin, how, you know, the fire was never to go out and it did and they, they, didn't, do, they didn't do it properly. Strange fire uh, on the altar. Now, that discusses the family of the high priest and the priesthood of Aaron and, and the ironic priesthood. Aaron and Moses are of the tribe of Levi. Therefore, they pitch their tents in the immediate area that surrounds the tabernacle, which is in the middle of the people who are marching with three tribes on each of the four sides, uh, with tribes on each of the four sides, half tribe, and then, the, of course, the Levites considered as a tribe. So here they are marching in the way, moving toward the land of Canaan, the promised land, as they should, inclusive in the progress of God's people and central to it is the worship of Yahweh, the true and living God. This is appointed then, of course, to Aaron and his sons as high priest and as the priesthood in that sense. But then here are the rest of that tribe, the Levites, and they are to be servants to the priests. Now these instructions don't leave anything out. No, no one can argue about whether or not he can he can flank this side or that side or the front or the rear of the tabernacle when he sets up his camp and what part he's supposed to take care of. All that is given by instruction from Yahweh through Moses. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, bring forth the tribe of Levi and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. That is, minister to him. Now what does that mean? That doesn't mean that Aaron is treated like a king and that they pander to his needs. That's not what it means at all. What it means is that the one who is responsible for the, the assurance of proper worship is the high priest. He has a great responsibility, but he can't do all that stuff. You have thousands of people coming on a weekly basis to offer offerings and, and do things that are needed. And then all of the things on the inside, the, the holy place, there are rituals that have to be taken care of with regard to the lampstands and the showbread and the table and all that. And then, of course, once a year, the Holy of Holies. Well, anyway, Aaron obviously can't do that himself, nor even Aaron and his sons. Therefore, the Levitical priesthood would serve to Aaron in the sense of being ministers you have a need in your worship life and you have a need to offer a sacrifice. One of the five that we've discussed back in the book of Leviticus. Uh, some, some special need. The first place you come to when you enter into the courtyard of the tabernacle is 
You come to the brazen altar and you come with your sacrifice, your offering, and there you are met by a Levite. And this happens. I mean, there's no telling how many times a day uh, this would happen. It's, uh, it's a great deal of physical work. It's, it's a great deal of, of uh, spiritual work in the sense of doing what's needed to be done to offer the sacrifice, to make people understand how to properly offer the sacrifice, what's meant by the whole thing. Um, and these animals would not be any lightweight animals. So after the sacrifice is made, the, the carcass has to be appropriately uh, disposed of in, in one way or another, depending on what kind of offering it was. So uh, that takes that takes a lot of priests. Now the the brazen altar, the altar is a big thing, so it was capable of handling quite a bit of of uh, sacrificial uh, work or responsibility uh, as it was there just inside the entrance. To the tabernacle. So this is what the Levites are to do. They are, they are to minister before Aaron, the priest or the high priest, so that they could serve him. They shall keep his charge and the charge of the entire community before the tent of meeting to perform the service of the Mishkan, the, 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 the service of whatever's to go on in the tabernacle. They shall take charge of all the vessels of the tent of meeting and the charge of the sons of Israel to perform the service of the Mishkan. And we you go back to the book of Leviticus and it's repeated in Deuteronomy. What is required in this worship and in this sacrificial system of worship in the Old Testament is very meticulous. Uh, and, the, and the priests and the worshiper, but the priests especially, they have to get it right. They are under a, a, a great responsibility to make sure this whole thing is done right. You shall give over the Levites to Aaron and his sons to be wholly given over to him from the sons of Israel. Appoint Aaron and his sons and they shall keep uh, their priesthood, uh, their priestly place, office. And any outsider, that is any non-priest, you can't just... I'm reminded of the guy when I grew up in Gadsden. And when I grew up in Gadsden, as I grew up there, the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Plant was probably the, the driving economic force there. Thousands of people were employed by Goodyear. I don't, I don't, it's been a long time, I don't think it's that way anymore. But whenever, and it was sort of a flagship plant. There were other Goodyear plants, but they weren't as big as the Gadsden plant. And the other plants may have voted in a contract renewal not to strike or whatever. But I think every time when, it, when they couldn't come together, I think every time the Gadsden guys voted to strike. Am I right? And, and so, you know, my dad was in business. And you really had to think about this. When these guys were on strike, they couldn't spend money. And there was a guy who had uh, become frustrated with the length of weeks that they had gone into the strike. I mean, this was really getting pretty serious. The, the strike had gone into several weeks. <laughs> and this guy said, well, 
I can always go back to preaching. <laughs> well, this is kind of like, you can't let one of those guys just walk into the tabernacle and say, you know, I've never been a priest before. Who knows? I might be good at this stuff. Can't do that. So that's, that's no, a non-priest who approaches and thinks that he can always go back to priesting is going to get killed. I think that's kind of funny. Uh, knowing what I know about preachers. <clears throat> Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, as for me, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel in place of all the firstborns among the sons of Israel who have opened the womb and the Levites shall be mine for all the firstborns are mine since the day I smote all the firstborns in the land of Egypt, I sanctified for myself all of the firstborns of Egypt, both man and beast, and they shall become mine. I am Yahweh. All right, here, here, here comes this firstborn thing again that takes us back to the book of Exodus. Goes back to Passover. What happened on that night of Passover? Well, if you didn't believe in Yahweh... And if you didn't believe in the redeeming blood of Yahweh, the delivering blood of Yahweh, as he prescribed, then the firstborn of your family and, and the firstborn of your beasts, and uh, they would die on the night of Passover. Here's the deal with regard to Passover and the law of the firstborn. Everybody deserved to die. However, graciously, there was a provision made. A substitute could be offered, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, a spotless lamb. And its blood would have to be put on the doorpost of the household. That household would be delivered from the death blow of Passover night and the death of the firstborn. Now, if you've, ever, <laughs> if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments, you will know how grievous it was across the land uh, for all of the firstborn, including beasts, to be put to death that night. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 78 and Genesis 49, we have other references to the firstborn. And it speaks of the strength and the vitality of the people. So the, the Hebrew words that are, that are used to surround this ordeal of the firstborn uh, describe the initial opening of the womb. Now it was a son. It was the firstborn son. And the firstborn carried certain benefits for being the firstborn, he was the representative of the family. He would, he would receive, I think, twice the inheritance of the, what the rest of them would get. It was his responsibility to make sure that his mother, the widow, was cared for and his unmarried sisters uh, were cared for. So he was the strength and vitality of the family. On several occasions in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the firstborn of Yahweh. So in the law of the firstborn, Yahweh essentially says, you owe your strength 
to me. You, you wouldn't have any strength. You wouldn't have an existence if it wasn't for me. So God declared that the firstborn would be his. And in doing that, he was saying that the nation was his. He claimed the strength and vitality of the very nation itself through claiming the firstborn. And so uh, the people would further understand that Yahweh owned them and that they owed him everything, but he only required a tithe of all that they would have. So now here, Yahweh says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to substitute the males of the Levites for all of the firstborn of the families of Israel, for the rest of the tribes. That's what he says he's going to do. He's going to take the Levites in exchange for those first, all of those firstborn. Now, there's more said about this along this passage here uh, in a minute or two. So then the Levites are numbered. Yahweh spoke to Moses in the Sinai Desert saying, Count the sons of Levi according to their father's house, according to their families. Count all the males from age of one month and upward. So Moses counted them according to Yahweh's word, just as he was commanded. And these were the names of Levi's sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now, we cover Kohath in in chapter 4. But anyway, let's look at this uh, general overview here of the numbering of the Levites. The names of the sons of Gershon. According to their families were Libni and Shimei, and the sons of Kohath, according to their families, were Amran, Itzar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari, according to their families, were Mali and Mushi, and the families of Levi, according to their father's houses. For Gershon, the Libnite family, and the Shimeite family, remember those guys? They were back up there in verse 18. So they were divided into these two, um, the Libnite family, the Shimeite family. These are the Gershonite families. More is said about, it, about that in Numbers 4, and God willing, we'll get there next time. The charge of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting included the Mishkan, the tent. Okay, now here's, here's what's happening. We used to sit at the table with our family when we all, when we had them all at home. We just sort of, Pat and I just sort of stare at each other now. We don't know what to do. The prayer was always offered. And then, I can't remember who it was, but when they all got old enough to talk and sort of think for themselves, one of the enterprising young children of ours demanded to ask the blessing. Well, when you have three other little ducks sitting at the table, this is as good of a reason as any to argue. No, me. No, me. No, me. I want to say the prayer. (laughs) I'm getting in a fight over who can pray. That's deeply religious. That's, that's good child rearing right there. Well, anyway, I said, okay, wait a minute. We're going to have to divide up the responsibilities. 
And we gave them a different because somebody would probably fuss about which responsibility they were given. So we always divided the responsibilities at every meal. You pray for the bread and our food. You pray for the drink. You pray for the hands that made it. And you pray for the hands that earned it. That seemed to satisfy and settle everybody down. So we'd take a deep breath and wait until this prayer was over. And we could eat. You didn't have to worry about that here. Point being, Yahweh assigns everybody where they're to be and what they're to do. So they can't argue over, I want on the right side or the left side of the tabernacle when we travel. No, I want to be the one who rolls up the gold stuff. I'm tired of rolling up the canvas stuff. You know, there's none of that. So here's what goes into that right here. Uh, they were given this charge, as we saw in verse 25. Continuing in verse 26, the hangings of the courtyard, the screen of the entrance of the courtyard, which is around the Michigan and uh, the tabernacle area, and the altar, its ropes, as well as all the work involved for Koth, the Amramite family, and the Izharite family, the Hebronite family, and the Uzealite family. These are the families of Koth. The number of all the males from the age of one month and upward amounted to 8,600, and the keepers of the charge of the holy, or the holy place. The, all right. The families of the sons of Koath shall camp to the south side of the Michigan, of the tabernacle. So, okay, this is where you're going to be. This is your spot. I'm not going to have any arguing about it. This is where you're going to be. This is the stuff you're going to be responsible for. The prince of the father's house of the Kothite family is Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their charge included the ark, the table, the menorah, the, the lampstands, the altars, holy utensils with which they would minister, and the screen and all the work involved. Now, see, that's what I'd want to do. The ark. That's what I'd want to do. But because I wanted to do it, he probably wouldn't let me. The prince over all the princes of the Levites shall be Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, and the appointment of all the keepers of the charge of the holy. For Marathi, the Machlit family, and the Mushat family, these are the families of Marathi. Their tally according to the number of males from the age of one month and upward was 6,200. The prince of the father's house of the Marathi families is Zuriel, the son of Abhail. They shall camp on the north side of the Michigan. So now they know where they're going to be camping. The appointment of the charge of the sons of Marathi included the planks of the Michigan, its bars, pillars, sockets, utensils, and all the work involved. Also the pillars of the surrounding courtyard, their sockets, stakes, and their ropes. Camping in front of the Mishkan, in front of the tent of meeting to the east, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, the keepers of the charge of the sanctuary, as a trust for the sons of Israel. Any outsider who approaches shall be put to death. The sum of the male Levites, according to their families from age of one month and upward, counted by Moses and Aaron, according to the word of Yahweh, was 22,000. Okay. So these, these Levites, they have their job. They know what they're supposed to do. So when the time comes and the pillar of fire swings around and they're to start marching, everybody knew what he was to do. So it was very organized and they would take down what their responsibility was and roll it up, pack it up and carry it and on they go. When the time came to stop, they would take that same thing, know right where to go and they'd set that thing up. Uh, and it was a well-organized work. And their number, what? 22,000. 
standing in for the firstborn. Now we revisit the matter of the firstborn. Yahweh said to Moses, count every firstborn male aged one month and upward of the sons of Israel and take the number of their names and you shall take the Levites for me. I am Yahweh instead of all the firstborns among the sons of Israel and take the Levites animals instead of all of the firstborn animals of the sons of Israel. So Moses counted every firstborn of Israel as Yahweh had commanded him and the firstborn males aged one month and upward according to the number of names was 22,273. Okay, so now you got a difference of 273. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all of the firstborns among the sons of Israel and the Levites animals instead of their animals and the Levites shall be mine, I am Yahweh. As for the 273 of the sons of Israel who required redemption, uh, who are in excess of the Levites, you shall take five shekels per head according to the holy shekel, uh, the temple shekel by measure that had already been given, by which the shekel is 20 geras. There it is. And you shall give the money to Aaron and his sons in redemption for the firstborns who are in excess of them. So now what happens to the excess of the number of Israelite firstborn? They are redeemed. And that redemption money is paid and given to the, to the high priest uh, and his, his family, his sons. Now, Moses took the redemption money for those in excess of those redeemed by the Levites. He took the money from the firstborn of the sons of Israel, 1,365 uh, of the holy shekels. Then Moses gave the money of those redeemed to Aaron and his sons in accordance with the word of Yahweh, as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Okay, so this eliminates the confusion as they march. Any confusion about, about the firstborn and what that means. There's, there's, there's not going to be a, a lot of that kind of uh, uh, situation or, or circumstances as they march. Of course, there's still, there's still the responsibility of being a firstborn and so forth. But with regard to serving Yahweh, especially in the encampment in the wilderness and the march toward Canaan, all of that is taken care of simply by this instruction from Yahweh saying, I'm going to substitute all of the Levites for the firstborn of the sons of Israel. So that would simplify thing and the service then that the Levites would give uh, would stand in place of what might would have been required uh, of all the firstborn. So redemption money was given and uh, that that statute, this, this statute is established. There won't be any confusion or argument or whatever as the people go along the ways. Now in the first 10 or so chapters of the book of Numbers, things seem so smooth. Everything is so well organized. All you got to do is do it, right? You just follow the plan. Here's the deal. When there are nearly 3 million of them, some of them aren't going to be happy. Can you imagine that? Even though God himself had given the instructions for organization and, and worship and warriors and all this kind of stuff and more yet to come, still, there are those within the congregation who are not going to be happy. 
I don't know through the years how many times some irate member would come to me. And I would just finally just stop and say, what would it take to make you happy? I I don't remember ever getting a reply on that question. They just weren't going to be happy. Not happy. Well, here's a quarter call somebody who cares, right? Now, the things that people become unhappy about are the, see, nobody would be unhappy about some major deal. It would always be some minor deal, something that nobody really cared about. So here's the point. The, in, in later in the book of Numbers, we begin to see the strife and the sins of the people, the disobedience, the murmurings, and poor old Moses. Uh, you know, you just, he's been dead a long time, but go ahead and say a prayer for him anyway, because we're going to be studying about him here, and he needs all the prayers we can get <laughs> as we look uh, through the book of Numbers. This particular part and this particular organizing of those who would lead in worship, the Levites, will continue into Numbers chapter 4. We'll pick that up next time. So let's pray together. We'll be through. Father God in heaven, we marvel at your word and at the care, the great care that you take to tend to your people and to our worship. Thank you that we are even permitted to come before you in worship. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study these things from so long ago, we will learn these lessons about the importance of warfare and, and organization and administration and worship and responsibility that we have in all of those things. Oh, Lord, apply these things to our lives in these days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.